That song, Living Hope, um, reminds me of two years ago when we were shut down and we were online, and uh, there were people in the church who requested that I bring them communion, so I spent Sunday morning driving around um, delivering communion to people, and I had a worship playlist, and that song was on the worship playlist, and I, I just remember the, how, how much the staff grieved when we couldn't do our, our job here on Sunday morning, and we felt like you all needed your pastors, and we couldn't be there for you, and we needed to be together, and we couldn't be there, and, and the, my, my wife will tell you that, that on Sunday mornings when we weren't here, I, I would lay in bed, I, I'd, I'd cry because of the grief I felt not being able to be here and not being able to serve and knowing that people were struggling and everything. And that song would play as I was driving around and it always encouraged me uh, during that time. So every, every time, that, that song's kind of like an Ebenezer to me. It's kind of like a, 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 a monument to where God moved. And, uh, and so every time I hear that, I just think about that time when we were in such desperate, grieving times, and God just came through for us, and so uh, I, I, that, that's just an amazing time, but anyway, I, I didn't mean, plan on saying that, but that, that song just moves me, Living Hope, Phil Wickham. So we're in a series called Keeping God First When You, it, when you Don't Feel Like It, and um, apparently this, uh, this has been quite a, uh, a, a, what a lot of people are going through because the feedback and the messages and everything that have been coming in about what people are going through has really been pretty amazing. But we're in part four here, and this is uh, when you need an answer and God is silent. When you pray and you pray and you pray and, and you hear nothing, and it doesn't seem like God is even listening. Uh, and the main thing today is spiritual warfare surrounds the Christian going through hard times. So the question I ask, how many times have you sought God in prayer and nothing's happened? Uh, you, you, not, not a scripture comes to mind, no feeling of encouragement. Uh, like, like, the, like the audience after a bad comedian tells a joke, just crickets. You pray, God, I, I need an answer to this. I need this. Or can you do this? Can you heal this person? Can, I, I need direction in my life. And just absolute, utter silence. It happens it happens more often than we care to admit. And uh, the nice thing is, is that it's been going on since the beginning of time. Uh, one of the most, uh, the, 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 the guy in the Old Testament who was the greatest in the Old Testament all the way up until Jesus uh, was King David. He was known as, as the man after God's own heart. He's the guy that is named after me, you know, that guy. So, uh, uh, but in Psalm 13, one through two, David, the man after God's own heart, the guy with the direct line to God, the one who stepped out onto the battlefield and killed Goliath, had the guts and the faith in God to do that, who was leading the nation in the golden years, the man prays this prayer. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Here is the, a man of faith, a man of God, who is feeling completely hung out to dry by God. The one, that has, the, the one that has walked with him, the one that has guided him, the one, everything. This particular time in David's life, he's feeling completely forsaken, hung out to dry, left to his own, and he's crying out to God, how long are you going to ignore me? How long uh, am I going to pray and you're not going to answer? How long are you just going to be absent? Do you even care, God? That's what this psalm 
is, is, is saying, by the way, the Psalms were the hymn book of the, of the nation of Israel, and they encompass the full range of human emotions. There's celebration, there's grief, there's questioning, there's sorrow. The whole gamut, the Bible acknowledges that it's all part of the Christian life. And so he is going through this, and he asked four questions that a lot of us have asked. If you're not asking them now, you have asked them in the past, or you will ask them in the future. Four questions. The first one, he says, how long will you forget me? How long? Second question, how long will I not hear from you or see you? Third question, how long do I have to fight this battle in my head with thoughts and feel this way? How long will I live in defeat? Those are the four questions he's asking. Now, I would imagine at some point in time you have asked those questions. You may be asking them right now. And if you are, I'm glad you're here because this is where you need to be because we're going to talk about this. The third one especially, how long do I have to fight this battle in my head? He said, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day, uh, have sorrow in my heart? If you are the person that wrestles with thoughts, you get alone inside your own head, you're going through something, and, and all of a sudden, you, you just kind of get alone, and your thoughts start spiraling out of control. Believe me, David understands. King David was dealing with that himself. You are not a bad Christian or have a lack of faith because that is happening, okay? Take a, take a load off. That's okay. That's part of it. He's dealing with that too, okay? So these are common questions. David is struggling with life and he feels separated from God. Now notice I said he feels separated. He is not separated. He feels separated. And I want to tell you something. In our American culture, I, how many of you all have heard this? Perception is reality. How many of you heard that? Okay, it's not. It's not true. Perception is not reality. Your feelings are not truth. We have to break through this American culture that has told you that how you feel is how things are. It's not true. Your feelings have nothing to do with reality. And when you feel separated from God, you are not separated from God. What does the Bible tell us? That neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation nor, nor uh, things to come, the things that happen can separate us from the love of God. That's what the truth is, but you feel separated. And what this culture tells you is however you feel, that is what is real. Wrong. That is not ever part of the Bible, and that's not part of the Christian faith. Okay? David is feeling separated from God, but he's not. Because God has promised him never to leave nor to forsake, okay? Now, the first thing that I love about this, the thing I love about the Psalms, especially the Psalms of David, like I said, no one can question his faith, but he goes straight to God and he tells him exactly how he feels, Un unlike a lot of us. A lot of us, we, when, we, when we're feeling separated from God, we kind of feel like we can only tell him what we think God wants to hear. You know, God... Uh, you know, it's kind of been kind of a rough day, but things could be worse. I'm blessed. When you're not feeling that way at all, what does King David do? He doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't say, well, you know, Lord, I need to remember my blessings. No, he doesn't do that at all. He gets on his knees and says, Lord, I am feeling hung out to dry here. He's real with God. You might as well be real with God, people. God already knows what you're feeling. He already knows what's going on in your heart. He already knows what's going on in your mind. You might as well tell him. Can you imagine... Uh, I, I, I would imagine those kind of prayers where we tell God what we think he wants to hear. It's kind of like my niece. When my niece was one years old, she wanted to play hide and seek with me. And she goes, uh, Uncle Dave, I want you to count, and I'm going to go in there and hide. And she pointed to the room she was going in and hide. Okay. And I said, all right. So I count. I count to 10. And I walk into the room, and she's sitting there on the couch with a blanket over her head. 
thinking I can't see her. That's what we look like to God when we're not real with him in prayer. He's like, I see you. I see, I see this. You think you're hiding. You think that I don't know what's going on. I'm God. I know exactly what's going on. David just goes straight. He says, tells God exactly what's going on in his mind. God, you're hanging me out to dry. I feel like you've left me. How long am I going to have to deal with this separation? I love that. Maybe one of the things that you need to hear in church today, it is okay to be real with God. He already knows. You're not hiding from him. He, uh, he gets it, believe me. Just be real with him. He's the one person that won't judge what you say. Just be real with him. That's what King David does. What a great example when you are feeling forsaken by God. So, but th- there's something else going on around here. When you pray and God is silent, you don't get an answer. There may be more going on than any of us ever realize. I'm gonna take you guys to Daniel chapter 10. Now, uh, in Daniel chapter three, we just talked about that two weeks ago with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? The king Nebuchadnezzar, the fiery furnace, that kind of thing. If you guys haven't seen that, you need to go to our YouTube page and access that and watch that um, uh, when you need a miracle and God uh, d- does nothing. That, that's the, uh, uh, that's the, the one you can search for on YouTube. Go get that content. But seven chapters later, Daniel is, he's, he's in a foreign nation, he's, his nation's been conquered, they've been taken off into exile, and he is a, he's, he's in a hostile uh, country, and he prays, he asks God for an answer, he, he has this trouble in his spirit, and he prays, and God is completely silent, in Daniel chapter 10, and then in verse 10, Verse through 14, I want you guys to underline this in your Bibles, highlight it in your U version, whatever, because you need to go to this chapter. Check this out. A hand touched me, Daniel says, and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for now I have been sent to you. This is an angel talking to Daniel. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Verse 12, then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, that's a reference to Satan, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, an archangel, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to, to explain uh, to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Like what the heck is going on here? We just got a glimpse into the spiritual warfare that goes on over our prayers, you all. Daniel didn't see it. We don't see it. But there's a lot more going on when God is silent. There's spiritual warfare going on. There's certain things that we learn about this. Number one is that, number one, God's silence is not a referendum on your faith. Okay, Daniel waited three weeks for an answer. Some of us wait longer, some of us wait shorter, but some of, he waited three weeks. And how did the angel address him? You who are highly esteemed. That's how, that, that, so in other words, God has a very high opinion of you, and me being here three weeks late has nothing to do with your faith. So let's just put that out of our minds. If we are praying, we're crying out to God, and we're not getting an answer, that is not a referendum on your faith. That is not, don't start doubting. Don't let Satan start speaking those lies into your heart that, well, if you are really, if you are really a Christian, if you are really a believer, God would be answering it right now. No, that's completely false. 
The Bible tells us that's false. Don't let that thought enter your mind. Uh, look, he says, you are highly esteemed. A lot of times when God doesn't answer me, I think, well, I must have done something and God moved my prayer like, like, a, like a short order cook, kind of moved mine to the back because I was a rude customer or something or put my on, on the bottom of the sack. No, that's not what happens, guys. That doesn't happen. God is not a short order cook, thank goodness. All right? Some of us need to understand that receiving an immediate answer to prayer is not the criteria for having strong faith in God. You can have a very strong faith in God and not receive an answer to your prayer immediately. Okay? Get that in your mind. Second thing we learn is this, is that you have a powerful enemy opposing your prayers. You have a powerful enemy opposing your prayers. The angel refers to the prince of Persia. Now, this is a reference to Satan himself. Satan, so this is what's going on. Daniel prays to God, and Satan, I guess his, the demons come down to, to hell and say, hey, Daniel's praying. And this, this, is, this is a declaration of war. So Satan himself, according to the Bible, steps out of hell and blocks the angel going to talk to Daniel. Satan himself steps out. Now, this is something all of us need to know. You need to know. Satan is not equal to God. He's not. We, uh, we kind of think about, well, there's the good, there's God, and then there's the equal and opposite force of evil named Satan. No, that is not true. Satan is not equal to God. Satan is a created being. At one point, Satan was an archangel, which was a, the head angel. In, in the Bible, we get the names of three uh, archangels. There's Michael, there's Gabriel, who announced the, the arrival of Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew, and Lucifer. Lucifer was an archangel. Lucifer means morning star. We found that, find that in the book of Isaiah. In the Catholic Bible, there's a reference to an archangel named Raphael. In the Catholic Bible, I, I, that's not in the Protestant Bible, the Catholic Bible. And in other writings that are not part of Scripture, there are actually seven names of archangels. We don't know how many there are, but what we do know is that they are the head dudes. They are the military commanders. They are the, the leaders of God's army. They are extremely powerful, but they are not God. And Lucifer was a, is a fallen angel who became Satan, okay? That he was in God's kingdom, he was one of the high dudes, he was one of the greatest, in his pride, he said, I want to be like God, God cast him out, and that's why he is Satan now, okay, so you have to understand that, he is not equal to God, not equal to God, he is not able to oppose God's power, get that, because what happens, we start believing that Satan is more powerful than God, he's not. Get that in our minds, all right? So Satan steps out to oppose this angel, and they're doing battle. And the angel realizes he can't beat Lucifer. He can't, he can't do it. So he goes and gets Michael, the archangel, to come in and whoop him and push him out of the way. And that's what happens. This gives us a fascinating glimpse to what is going on when we really pray, you all. You and I don't see this. But you have a, an incredibly powerful enemy opposing your prayers. Now, that makes me think, what would I be willing to go to war over? What would make me want to pick up a rifle and fight? Would I do that over uh, a misunderstanding at a fast food place? Would I go to war? No. Would I uh, go to war over 
you know, getting a, a, a bad grade or getting a bad performance review. No. No, the only things you go to war over are the things that are life and death to you. So obviously, for Satan to go to war over our prayers, they are life and death to him. Think about that, because that's not what I've learned about prayer my whole life. I didn't realize how important prayers were and what they mean to God and to Satan. They are declarations of war. See, we grow up in this, in this thing, uh, you know, the, the, like the Dionne Warwick song, I say a little prayer for you. How many, how many of y'all have asked, hey, say a little prayer for my son. Say a little prayer for me as I'm going. No such thing as a little prayer. That's what this says. Okay? Number three, God and Satan believe your prayers are important enough to fight over. I don't know very many things worth fighting over, y'all, in my life. But if I go to fight, it better be over something important. And that gives you a glimpse into what Satan thinks when you hit your knees in prayer. When you, crawl, when you cry out to God in prayer, it is life-threatening to him, enough to make him want to fight. I don't know if y'all walked in here knowing that, but when we prayed, when we led in prayer over our offering, when we led in prayer over dollar days, when we led in prayer over uh, when the elders gathered in the children's building this morning to pray over this service and to pray for you all and to pray for the ministries and the volunteers. Those were damaging. Those were, those were fatal to Satan's kingdom. And he knows it. And that's why he went to war. Okay? What this passage shows is no such thing as a little prayer, y'all. No such thing. I wonder if Satan takes our prayers more seriously than we do. Hmm. Now, here are four things to do when you're going, when you're in this waiting period, when, you are, when there is spiritual warfare going on over your prayers, when you are not getting the answer that you have asked for, where, where, you know, where it seems like God is silent. Here are four things to do. We find this in the Psalm of David. This is, this is the guy who, who, who was the example. So there are four things we find in Psalm 13 that we're supposed to do while, while Satan and Archangel Michael are duking it out in the, in the heavenly realms. Okay, This is what we do. Number one is that we keep praying. Number one, we keep praying. Psalm 13, three, look on me and answer, Lord my God. So after, after David has done this one man, how long will this go on? Then he, he, he gets his heart right. And number three, uh, verse three, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Church, don't get discouraged. Satan's greatest tactic against you is discouragement. I know it. I'm in the ministry. The, the thing that causes ministers to burn out more than anything isn't criticism. It isn't uh, a lack of faith. It is discouragement. It's, it's like we feel like we're not accomplishing anything, that we, we give and we give and we give and nothing happens. That is what uh, gets more people out of the ministry than anything else is discouragement. And that's the one, number one thing that will stop you from praying, cause you to check out of your faith. It's not persecution. It's not violence. It's discouragement. So don't get discouraged Okay? Things don't happen in our time. They happen in God's time. And that is hard to, that's a hard lesson to learn. But they don't happen in our time. Don't get discouraged. Don't lose faith. Things happen in God's time. It's okay. He's God. He knows what he's doing. 
He'll, he'll send that. He'll defeat uh, Satan, the prince of Persia and get you, your, get you your message when the time is right, okay? Be faithful. Stay faithful. When I played soccer, uh, I was a defender and played, uh, played defense. That's the, that's the back line uh, right in front of the goal, for those of you that don't know anything about soccer. Uh, my senior in high school and all through college, I played in the back line. And, and so defense is an art. And I, 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 There's a point to this, a spiritual point to this. Stay with me here. Defense is an art, um, and higher level, higher level defense, um, you'd use different tactics according to the situation you're in. When you have the numbers, when, when the, let's say that there are four defenders and there are two strikers, and you have the numbers, and you're stronger than the opponent, you play aggressive defense. You go in for the tackle. You try to win it, okay? That's what you do when you have the numbers, when you have the advantage. However... If you don't have the numbers, let's say that you're, you've got two defenders and there are four uh, offensive players running at you and you don't have the strength, you're in position of weakness, you do not play aggressively, this is what you do. You delay. Delay is the tactic you use. All you have to do is stay between the, de- the, the, the ball and the goal and let your team catch up. You have to delay, you have to keep them outside. You don't go for the tackle because they could go around you because you don't have the numbers, okay? so. How do you play defense when you are overwhelmed and overmatched? You delay. And that's exactly what Satan is doing here. He can't beat God, so he tries to delay. He tries to delay the answer so that you'll quit. It's a defensive tactic that is used in sports, and Satan is using that defensive tactic against you because he's outmatched, he's, he doesn't have the numbers, he doesn't have the strength, he's in a position of playing defense, so he's trying to delay, 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 so that you'll quit. Understand that's what's going on, okay? He's trying to delay God so that you will get discouraged, and you'll quit, and you'll stop praying. So don't stop praying. Call his bluff, church. Call his bluff. He is not powerful as God is. And it's time we start calling that bluff. Stay faithful. Don't be discouraged and don't quit. We continue to pray. The second thing we do is we keep trusting. The second thing, after we keep praying, we keep trusting. Psalm 13, 5 says this, but I trust in your unfailing love. This is what David says right after he feels forsaken. I trust in your unfailing love. How many of you all believe that God loves you? You wouldn't be here if you didn't. You wouldn't be here if you didn't believe God loves you. You came here to to tell God that you love him too. Do we trust in his unfailing love, unfailing love? See, there are Christians that I've seen that quit on the one-yard line. They're about to score the touchdown, about to have the breakthrough, and they quit on the one-yard line. Had they gone, stay in the game one second longer, had they stayed faithful one minute longer, God would have given them the victory. They didn't keep trusting. See, when we need an answer and God is silent, we keep trusting. Keep trusting in God's unfailing love. See, this is what trusting God does. Trusting God turns major crises into minor inconveniences. I don't know if you all know this. This weekend has been a tremendous weekend of ministry here at Catalyst Christian Church. We had, we, uh, had a marriage conference yesterday, had church this morning. We've got our biblical citizenship class tonight. Community groups are starting. All kinds of great stuff. We're, and we're talking about spiritual warfare today. Let me tell you how this weekend has gone. 
okay? Yesterday, we, we, the marriage conference started off great, and then the food order got messed up. The, 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 the restaurant, I'm not going to tell you who they are, um, messed up our order. They, they, they didn't get it. We had to wait an hour for it. I had prayed, God, I pray everything goes well this morning because uh, I've, I've, this is my material. I've been working on it. I've been working on it for a year. I hope this is a blessing for everybody. I hope this conference goes great. And it just, the, the, the detail just got wrecked. This morning, the AC unit in the children's building went out. <laughs> this morning, all right, we're having audio problems. We're having all kinds of, the, 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 what happened in practice was great, and then, it, then all, some, some of the audio cut out <clears throat> during, the, during the church service today. I don't, I don't even want to know what's going to happen tonight, okay? All right? I, that, that, that happens. But here's the thing. All of those which could be major crises, those are minor inconveniences because we have trust in God, that God is doing things that we don't see. See, all of those things, when I was a young minister, would have devastated me. I would have been in a bad mood. I would have lost my cool. I would have uh, thrown a temper tantrum like a spoiled toddler because I needed every, I wanted to do my best and wasn't my best and this kind of thing. I thought it was a reflection on me. And I, they were major crises. But those things become minor inconveniences when you have trust in God. I knew that this weekend would be full of spiritual warfare. I knew that there would be things like that that would try to take our focus off of what we're talking about this weekend. I knew it. The second I saw what was going on this weekend, I'm like, oh, better put on the armor because Satan's gonna try to derail every little thing that he can to get us off focus, to try to discourage us because that's how he works. But see, when you trust God that he is more powerful than Satan, those things become minor inconveniences. How many of y'all worship this morning? Were you able to worship this morning? Yeah? How, those of you at the marriage conference, how many of y'all learned something? Absolutely. How many of tonight, the biblical citizenship class, you're gonna learn something? Community groups, everything? Absolutely. Satan cannot stop us. He cannot stop us. So we trust in God's unfailing love. That's what we do. The second thing that we do when, when, when we do not get an answer. The third thing we do is this. We keep rejoicing. We keep rejoicing. Look what David says here in verse 5. My heart rejoices in your salvation. When we, are, when we uh, are questioning, if we're hung out to dry, we're not getting the answer, we keep worshiping. We keep rejoicing. Okay? What does is, what is David rejoice in? In his salvation. Check this out. All right? One of the wrong thoughts that happen when we're in the stage of God's silence is that we think he doesn't care. We think he's left us out to dry or he's just not going to do anything. That's, that's a wrong thought that gets in our mind. And nothing could be further from the truth. And when that thought process enters your mind, um, it exposes the true bent of our hearts. My question, church, is our faith in God based on God doing, giving us things in this life? Let me explain what I mean. Remember, your prayer of repentance and request for Jesus to save you was answered instantaneously. When Missy was baptized, she was saved today. That, that, that's, that's not a delay. That happened immediately, okay? That happened instantaneously. He has saved you from an eternity in hell. If you're a Christian this morning, if you have repented of your sins and you have been baptized and you have received the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, which happened today, 
If you have done that, you are saved from an eternity in hell. And God has guaranteed your spot in heaven, eternal life. Anything else that he gives us in this life is just icing on the cake. It's all extra. Okay? Remember that. Don't base your faith or your belief on, in God on the extras. One of the greatest events in history was a miraculous evacuation of Dunkirk. Have any of you all studied World War, any World War II history buffs here? Okay, there was a movie that came out a few years ago called Dunkirk about what, what happened was the Nazi blitzkrieg went through France you know, like a hot knife through butter. Okay, they, in three weeks, they conquered the entire nation of France. It sent the allies, uh, the, the French army, the English, the, the American paratroopers that were there. Um, uh, actually, they weren't there, yeah, I'm sorry. The English and the French um, pushed them back to the, to the English Channel where they were trapped against the water. And the Nazi war machine, the Wehrmacht, was on its way to kill them, to end the war. Hitler was within this close of winning World War II and conquering Europe. That never had the allies been in such dire straits as that right there. And then all of a sudden, on the horizon, the, the, the army's trapped against the English Channel. They see boat after boat after boat after boat. Every English citizen with a boat got in there and they crossed the English Channel and they evacuated close to 400,000 soldiers. It was a miracle. And it got them to England. You can study it. Uh, it's, it's the evacuation of Dunkirk, one of the greatest miracles in military history. Now, can you imagine, you're a soldier in on the Dunkirk beach. You're, you're, you're discouraged. You're, you're, your uh, fellow uh, uh, soldiers have been killed. You're facing either death or capture or both by the Nazi war machine that's coming at you. And you're, you, the, the, you're stuck here. And all of a sudden, a boat comes and a captain says, get on, get on, we're, we're, we're evacuating you out of here. And you get on this boat and you can see the tanks and you can see the, 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 the planes that are coming and you realize that you were the, that close of losing this battle and losing your life. And you get on the boat and you go, oh man, it's cold. Where are the blankets? Another guy says, isn't there any food? Did you bring any food for us? Another guy looks over there and says, oh, that boat over there is nice. We got the dumpy boat. The captain looks at you and says, I just saved your life. If there are blankets, that's extra. If there's food, there's extra. This boat is what you got. I just saved your life. How about you be happy about that for a second? And that's exactly what we sound like when we complain about God not giving us what we want. He looks at us and says, I've already saved you from an eternity in hell. You were this close, people, to spending an eternity in hell for what you've done. And I got you here, and I pulled you out of there. And here you are complaining that God didn't send you a buck during deer season. <laughs> You're here complaining that your neighbor has a nicer car than you. You're here complaining that you're not making as much money as someone over there? Do you understand what you've been saved from? We rejoice in his salvation. So what if he doesn't answer our prayers right now? Everything else is extra. He saved us from that. Never take your sight off of that, Christians. 
Don't be like the soldiers in the boat complaining about the blankets and the food when your life has just been saved. We continue to rejoice even when God is silent. And the fourth thing is this, we keep worshiping. We keep worshiping. All right, Psalm 13, 6, God, uh, David looks at God and says, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. He's bearing his soul. He's feeling forsaken by God. And yet, verse 6, he says, God, I can't say that you haven't been good to me. Remember, how many of you all, if we took a show of hands today, would say God has been good to you? When I, when I met with, uh, with Gerald and Misty on Thursday, Gerald and I were talking about, do you understand what God has saved us from? How many of you all truly know what God has saved you from? How many of you all have a testimony of what God has saved you from? Without God, where would you be? Gerald and I looked at, well, we'd probably be dead. Honestly, not just physically, we'd be in hell. Okay, we, we were talking about that, and, if I, and I know a lot of your stories. You all, I know what you all have been saved from, right? You all know what you've been saved from. Guys, God has been good to us. He has been good to us. Can I get an amen? He has given good to us. And when you are feeling forsaken by God or he is not answering you when you think he should, remember how good he's been. Like David here, we keep worshiping. You keep going to God in worship. You go to God in worship, and you keep going, and you keep going until God changes your heart, until you are encouraged. You just keep worshiping. Worship is the number one weapon that God gives his people against discouragement. If you are feeling discouraged, if you are feeling left out to dry, if you need an answer and God is silent, then you keep going to worship. You turn on your Christian music. You block out other kind of music. You make sure you're in church. You, you gather with Christian friends and you pray and you keep worshiping. You keep going because that is a weapon against discouragement. See, we've all said it time and again, when you focus on God... Your problems look really small. When you focus on your problems, God looks very small. It's all what you focus on. And when you worship, you reorient your life to the greatness and the awesomeness of God. And that keeps you from going under. And with, with focus on your problems, I mean, I'm sorry, with, with, with worship, that includes Sunday morning. I don't get it, you all. I don't get why people do this. People, when they're going through tough times, when, when things are going badly, they disappear from church on Sunday morning. It's like a cancer patient saying, oh, I got, I, got, I got cancer, I can't go to the hospital. I don't get it. You, you withdraw from the place you need to be, the place where you can heal up, the place where people can encourage you. If you've gone through a divorce or, or your children are, are rebellious or, or you've got some kind of a diagnosis or something, man, this is where you need to be. You need to keep worshiping. The reason, though, the reason that you don't, the reason that we stay away one of Satan's greatest tactics to keep you from worship. He understands the power of worship more than we do. And if he can keep you away for a couple weeks, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, our life reorients to things, uh, to, to other things. See, the, the way that God designed us is that we orient our life on the things that we see every day. Okay? You miss worship two or three weeks, and all of a sudden your life moves away from God and you start worrying your life around bills and stress and media and the things that are in front of you. The problem with missing church is that soon you don't miss it. Okay? That's the problem with it. So we continue to worship. I want to 
just kind of speak against this feeling that when you come to church, the, the, you ha- the only way you can come to church is if you got it all together. Good night. If, if, if the only people that, that were here were the people that had it all together, I'd be preaching to an empty building. Actually, I wouldn't be here either. There wouldn't be anybody preaching, okay? The only, only would be the infants in the nursery who haven't messed up yet, all right? That's the only people be allowed to be here. So, guys, this is where we need, we need to keep praying. We hit our knees until the Lord changed our situation. We keep trusting. We keep rejoicing. And we keep worshiping. See, guys, if you remove worship from your life, Satan has been able to separate you from the number one weapon that we use against him, which is worship. The, uh, the most dangerous moment for me as pastor of this church happened in 2009. Um, those of you all that were with us back then know what a tough time we had getting this church started. I, just, I was fresh out of youth ministry. I'd been on, on staff, high school minister at Southern Acres. And uh, basically, uh, uh, we, we started this church, and through politicking that I'm not going to get into, we had no support from anyone. We had to do this all ourselves. The staff, John Kelly came down from Wisconsin. He worked at Starbucks. I, I had four jobs trying to uh, support a family of five, um, just w- uh, delivering newspapers, substitute teaching, coaching, whatever I could do to find to put food on the table to support my family through, through, while, while the church was getting started. We had no support at all from anyone except the faithful people that were part of our church. Well, in 2009, we, we had been meeting at East Jessamine High School. We started there, meeting there, portable, kind of like Elevate is, is portable right now at LCA. Well, in 2009, we got our first permanent building. We, it was over behind the boot store. And um, anyone, well, it was a, it was a, it was a office building, and we, we had a Sunday morning where we demoed all of the, all the stuff and, and, and started making it into a worship uh, facility. We had a lot of work to do. Um, we had to lay carpet, had to do walls, drywall. I mean, it was a massive undertaking. Took about a month and it took about six weeks to do. And we had no money, so we were vol- we had volunteers coming in and, and putting up wall panels and doing drywall. I did the drywall, and you could tell. All right, you 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 could tell. I mean, it was bad. Um, but they didn't train us for that in seminary. Uh, but I, but did that and working all day long on getting this worship facility together. Well, anyone who has done a building project knows that whatever you budget, what do you do? You double it, exactly, because it's never what you think. Okay, we, we, we raised, like, I think, like $15,000 or something like that, and, the, and the, uh, uh, the, the total cost of that was way over that, and we didn't hire anybody except the people to lay the carpet. It was all volunteer. We cut costs everywhere we could. Like I said, I did the drywall, and it looked like it, and, and everything. Well, after everything was, every, all the bills had come in, and we, we moved into September, and October was when everything came in. All the bills came in, and Anyone who owns a business or, or is the head person, you know that you pay your bills first, your staff second, and if there's anything left over, you get paid. Well, after all the bills had come in and the staff had been taken care of, there was $150 left in the bank account. I hadn't gotten a paycheck. This was at the end of October. My mortgage and the bills were going to be coming out of our bank account in a couple of days on the 1st of November. And I looked at the, the, the bank account after every, and this sinking feeling. I'm going to have to go home to my wife and explain I'm not getting a paycheck right now. And I have three little children to support. And we had 
face nothing but criticism from, from the churches around. So for some reason, churches don't like when new churches get started. And they were just waiting for us to fail. And in my office, there in the industrial park back there, I got down on my knees in my office and I said, Lord, did you bring me here to ruin me? Because if you did, someone else can have this job. Someone else can pastor this church. Because I'm going to have to go home and face my family and say, I'm not getting a paycheck. And I can't imagine, I, I, I still think about the stress I was under. And I said, Lord, it's been nothing but stress for these 18 months. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's the most dangerous time when I was this close to resigning from pastoring this church. And when I prayed that, God was completely silent. I didn't get a scripture. A lot of times the Holy Spirit speaks a scripture to me to encourage me. I didn't get any phone call saying I'd won the lottery. I didn't get anything. It was I utter, total silence. And I drove home completely defeated. Absolutely, 100% completely defeated. The next day was Saturday. That was on a Friday. Next day was a Saturday. Absolutely nothing. That Sunday, I got a phone call after church from our treasurer, the lady who was in charge of finances. And she said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? She said, our normal offerings back then, our normal offerings were like, you know, $1,500 or $2,000 a Sunday. We just had a $6,000 offering. And I didn't ask who it was. We hadn't told anybody anything. And I was able to get a paycheck and pay off all the things. And after that, that Monday, I walked into my office a little bit early before everybody got there. And I got down on my knees in the exact same spot. I said, Lord, when I left here on Friday, I was completely defeated. You came through for me and this church a big way on Sunday. And I'm here as your child to tell you that I am never going to doubt you again. I will, from now to the time I die, I am never going to doubt you again. I cannot tell you all how powerful God's answer is when we don't quit. Don't grow discouraged. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep rejoicing. Keep worshiping. Because your answer is on the way. I'm a living testament to that. God bless you. I love you. See you next Sunday. Bye-bye.